Podglomerate original. Hey, Trailweight listeners. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about another podcast, The Carbon Copy. Climate change can often feel like a far-off problem or tend to be siloed as a scientific story. But everything is a climate story. And that's where The Carbon Copy comes in. Hosted by climate reporter Stephen Lacey, The Carbon Copy covers climate change by connecting it to the significant cultural, economic, business, and tech trends that shape the world around us. Produced by Postscript Media and Canary Media, The Carbon Copy informs, enlightens, and sparks curiosity about how a changing climate affects our lives. From Russia's war on Ukraine to the housing crisis to decisions handed down from the Supreme Court, The Carbon Copy explores how climate change and the energy transition connect to today's biggest stories. To hear more, follow and subscribe to The Carbon Copy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Hey, podcast listeners. Are you planning holiday travel, dreaming of your next big adventure, or finally satisfying your wanderlust? If so, the next step might just be checking out Expedia's podcast, Out Travel the System. More than travel hacks, Out Travel the System breaks down travel-related stereotypes and showcases just how much there is to see and experience in the world. You'll hear from expert guests like Condé Nast's former creative director, Yolanda Edwards, and industry pioneer, Jessica Nabongo, who is the first black woman to visit all the countries in the world. However, and wherever you travel, follow Out Travel the System everywhere you listen to podcasts. The memory of Forrester Pass was still trapped in my and Rocky's heads. The hardship of this 200-mile thru-hike and the mystery of the fallen hiker infected our thoughts as we made our way into town and off the trail for our first planned resupply. Seven days doesn't seem like long enough time to miss a bed, a shower, or electricity. Yet here we were, back in town for the first time in a week, and we were getting reacquainted with modern conveniences. After being bombarded with unread emails, I tried to Google and search for any information about the fallen hiker or the rescue attempts. Nothing. We slept in a bed, and the following day, another failed attempt to find any news about the hiker or his fate. The surrealness of the situation intensified as we sat down at the included breakfast we purchased in advance, months earlier when we made our reservation to stay at this motel. The humble dining room felt like a film set designed to look like a small town family's dining room. Only this wasn't a film set. It was a small town family's dining room. We sat around the table with other hikers. We ate scrambled eggs and English muffins, trading pleasantries with other hikers who had just hiked the same route we had, the same days, but had a completely different experience. Unaware of the stranded body that had fallen off trail. We finished breakfast and returned to our room, packed our bags with the food and supplies we had mailed there, and set back off to the trailhead parking lot we arrived at the day before. 
I'm Andrew Steven, and this is Trailwave, a podcast about hiking outdoors and the lessons learned along the way. As we hiked up to rejoin the JMT, thunder cracked and lightning flickered. At this elevation, tree cover was minimal, and Rocky and I were the tallest objects around. Stuck between turning back and pressing onto cover, we hiked onward. Clouds moved in and hail started to pelt us. Rocky, who was faster than me, walked ahead while I trailed behind, moving slowly up the ascent. We finally made it to a place we could camp for the night, as the rain was pouring down. As night fell, the rain slowed, and by the time we woke up the next morning, the skies were clear, and the day was ahead of us. It's Thursday, August 8th, and (coughs) we had our first rain, thunder and lightning day, hike, and camp. Coming back from Independence over the Kearsarge Pass. Started, uh, the clouds were rolling in and started raining and hailing. And we saw a big bolt of lightning in the distance, heard thunder. Oh no, the clouds, I knew it, they're coming back. Oh. Those look like happy clouds. No, they're not. So, we're up early-ish this morning, hoping to yeah, what, there's three more days of forecasted thunderstorms? Two to three. I heard till... Th- I only heard till Thursday, just today, but... We heard a lot of thunder, but we only saw one lightning bolt, which was, like, right close by us. Uh, a few miles. Yeah, and there was a couple times before the lightning hit... Oh, that was weird. So before the lightning hit, you get, like, the your arm hair sticks up and everything like a warning the static sign. electricity but for me the like couple like minutes or even i don't know a minute before the lightning bolt happened a pika which are very shy and uh skittish animals they're almost they're small pikas are small are they rodents probably they're like chipmunks without tails yeah like fat cute mice i know they're so cute but so one ran out in front of me on the trail and then was just hanging out and i was like when is it gonna like usually they hear you you like you don't even see them before like they see you and they run away and then eventually like i think as soon as i passed it it ran off and then like a couple steps later the lightning bolt happened so it's like maybe intuitive like because isn't that a thing like animals or i think so i don't know This whole hike is hard work, but it's also fun. But it's definitely not fun hiking through rain and hail. Yeah. Um, And it's like, we, you know, we covered up, we had our rain jackets and stuff on, but like, I don't have, I have like gloves for warmth, but they're not waterproof gloves. And so I was just, my hands were getting stung and pelted by the little hail marbles. It's an interesting experience. Like I think, like a like a lot of the hardship on this trip, I'm in hindsight, I can be sort of 
like, grateful oh, I experienced it and know that I can get through it. But during it, it's... It sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's the, all the adventure stuff is fun until you're actually the one in the adventure. <laughs> Okay, I'm recording too. Uh, hey, Dan. So we were just recording an episode of your show, and um, you mentioned that hiking changed your life. Hiking changed my life, yes. Uh, and so I was like, okay, well, we have to talk to you for this. Um, this is Dan Adute. He's a friend and writer and comedian, and we share a love of hiking. I will say it has hiking has become my new religion in that I do it daily, uh, I, I am a, so here's the thing that the, the bummer thing about being a hiker is that anytime you tell someone that, I, oh, I like hiking, they're like, shut up loser. Like you're just like, <laughs> you go hiking once a month, but I literally, so once the pandemic hit and I stopped going to the gym, um, I've always loved hiking, but I, you know, I have a mile out of my house. I can get to a trailhead and it's not like a crazy big mountain, but it's like, you know, it's a nice steep hill. And round trip from my door to, to the top of, of uh, the trail and back is 4.7 miles. And that has become my daily routine. And I think because the barrier for uh, the reason I know, and I never went to the gym very much just because you have to drive there, you have to park there, this and that. The fact that I can walk out of my door, I just, I can't imagine, like I want to move, but I'm like being in close proximity <laughs> to a hill that I can just like walk out of my house to is like actually becoming an important thing now. Was it was it was it just the convenience factor or was there something else that like kept you coming back day after day after day? I mean, I've always loved the nature aspect of hiking, you know, the kind of I I don't know, man. I I've tried a lot of the things that people say they do to calm themselves down, like meditation and whatnot, and it just doesn't work for me. But something about being up in those in, you know, up uh, amongst nature whatever is just like it's it's become the most grounding thing for my brain that like every morning i need to do it before i get to work and in fact if i don't do it i have a tough time just like sitting down and focusing and uh, again like i was telling you like i remember when we started working together and uh you were you were very heavy set and then you started hiking i remember you were like yeah i'm just starting to hike i'm starting and every time i'd see you you just like shrink more and more and more and more and I'm not even saying get into hiking to lose weight. Like it's to me, it's like a really fun little side thing because I do think the other benefits outweigh it. Um, but it was just like it was so cool to see. Like it's so easy to become obsessed with it, and it's like what a wonderful obsession. For Dan and me, we constantly saw new ways hiking was influencing our creative work. I knew that thinking of life as a screenplay inspired me to go on this month-long hike, but I wasn't thinking about how hiking would inspire my creative work. Dan and I have talked off-air about how this goes beyond a quasi-meditation, but that it actively stimulates creativity. It gives time to think and process, and provides space for ideas to come to life. Even now, while working on this podcast, if I'm feeling stuck, I'll go for a walk and let whatever happens happen. And often, when I get back, I'm ready to jump back in with new ideas. This is great and all, and something I'm genuinely grateful for to this day, but it's definitely one of the benefits you think about after you get home from a long through hike. On the trail, 
we were hoping the rain wouldn't come back. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. When learning how to backpack, one of my first purchases was a small, portable butane stove. And the first thing I saw when I opened the box was a small folded up set of instructions. After a quick read, I turned it on and it worked without a problem. Unfortunately, not everything comes with a set of instructions. And life is one of those things without a user manual. And most of it isn't problem free. So when life's not working, it's normal to feel stuck, lost, and unsure of how to proceed. We may not have an instruction booklet for life, but thankfully there are people trained to help us navigate a career change, work through relationship issues, and help us approach feelings of stress, anger, or anxiety. I've personally found therapy to be beneficial in talking through complex issues, processing pain, learning productive skills, and so much more. And BetterHelp has connected more than 3 million people with the help they need. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try or are having trouble finding the right help, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, and affordable. And, as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists, all available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. You can easily switch to a new therapist anytime if things aren't clicking. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms. No traffic. No endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com wait. That's Better, H-E-L-P, dot com slash W-E-I-G-H-T. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, check out Vanishing Postcards. Hosted by Evan Stern, Vanishing Postcards is all about being outside, on the open road, and seeing new places. In the latest season, Vanishing Postcards invites listeners to drive cross-country on Route 66 and experience everything from a dance in Tulsa to an eating contest in the Texas Panhandle, to a morning on the Santa Monica Pier. Vanishing Postcards explores how this iconic road's past, present, and future are revealed through the stories of the people and places on Route 66 today. If you're looking for an episode to try, check out Postcards from the Mother Road, The Roots of Route 66, and hear all about how the legend of Route 66, which spans almost 7,000 miles, came to be. You can join their road trip by following Vanishing Postcards wherever you get your podcasts. After the rain, we got up early the next morning to make sure we had enough time to get to Glen Pass sooner in the day and not have a repeat of Forrester. The approach hike was beautiful and we passed a growing number of turquoise blue alpine lakes. Rocky and I were more tired than usual, perhaps because of the early morning or perhaps because of the events of the days prior. We made it to the top of the pass and started our descent. We had some snow crossings similar to Forester Pass, but nothing quite as challenging. We scrambled down some rocks that would have been easier if our centers of balance weren't altered from our packs. But we eventually made our way down and entered the famed Ray Lake section of the hike, which we had heard was the most beautiful section. A distinction hard for any one place to claim, as every day we were surrounded with the wonder of the Sierra Nevadas. 
Well, I um, I feel like well, I'm, this is Dan White again. I'm sorry to say that one of the most memorable things is just I was terrified. He's an author and hiker we heard in an earlier episode who had also experienced the fear and beauty of the Sierras when he walked from Mexico to Canada on the PCT. But my main takeaway is this feeling of almost like you're walking through cathedrals or the ruins of cathedrals. You feel like you're walking along these enormous, these these beautiful structures. Remember the sky was incredibly blue. I remember you need to fight the impulse to block beauty. You're so inundated by beautiful <laughs> information. You're so inundated by gorgeousness and by bird song and toad song and butterflies and high grass and water and that amazing feeling of descent and ascent. It's really important to reawaken to the rarity of the trail because it takes a lot of effort. At Ray Lakes, we slept in for the first time on the trail. We made breakfast and packed up at a slower pace than usual and enjoyed the beauty of our surroundings. Above us, we could see Fin Dome, a steep granite dome like the giant sail of a stone ship or an imaginary dorsal fin of a granite orca. And as we made breakfast and packed up our gear, we saw it glow in the morning sun. By midday, we had reached the suspension bridge, sometimes called the Golden Gate of the Sierra, and a common photo I had seen online in the year of my planning. We filled our water in the river and continued on through Manzanita and Jeffrey Pine, Whitebark and Lodgepole until we reached our destination for the night, Twin Lakes. This is where we camped last night, and that's where we're going. At the beginning of this hike, I thought I came to the trail to look for something instead of running from something. I mean, here's me in episode one of this podcast. Like Cheryl Strayed or Jack London, we had our call of the wild. But unlike those two, we weren't running from something. At least, we didn't think we were. Yes, I saw some similarities to Cheryl Strayed's story in Wild. Still, ultimately, I thought I was on a different journey. But here I was, on the trail, mourning my mom. And that's one of the very things Cheryl Strayed was doing on her hike. Her book, and the Reese Witherspoon movie based on it, is an inspiration for many to attempt the Pacific Crest Trail or get out and hike. I, too, turned to it as I trained for the JMT. I found myself downloading any audiobooks about thru-hiking I could find, and listening to the hours of stories as I went to the gym, went on long day hikes, and as I fell asleep. It was all part of my preparation process. Listening to and reading books, watching YouTube videos, and putting everything into my spreadsheet. In an article for Outside Magazine, Scott Wilkinson, Director of Communications at the Pacific Crest Trail Association, shared that not too long ago, Cheryl Strayed was the biggest trail celebrity, bringing more people to the PCT than anyone ever before. But Wilkinson said that today, YouTube's influence is enormous. 
perhaps surpassing Wild as the leading drivers of growth on the trail. This was true for me. While searching for tips and tricks, I was overwhelmed with the number of hikers on YouTube. And while I learned a lot and appreciated the advice I gained, these YouTube videos weren't quite the same as the stories I heard from authors like Cheryl Strayed. In an interview with Tim Ferriss for his podcast, he asked Cheryl Strayed about pouring her heart out on paper. There are basically two kinds of people. Those who think talking about, thinking about difficult experiences or painful memories or painful emotions is um, a bad thing because it brings up those feelings again. You know, why would you want to dwell on something that makes you cry or makes you remember that sorrow? There's that camp. And then there's the camp that is like, let's dig it all up because the only way ever to understand what happened or make some meaning of that suffering is to examine it and to look at it and to tell stories about it. As someone who's doing my own version of that, I was very interested to hear if the process was cathartic or if it forced a reliving of the pain and hardship. And I'm definitely in that latter camp. You know, I think that did I sometimes cry riding wild? Yeah, I would say probably every day, you know, probably every day. And was that good for me or bad for me? It was really good for me. There is no question that I would say the most cathartic thing in my life, right alongside motherhood for me, has been writing. It is through writing that I have come to understand who I am and what I've been through and therefore who we all are. And there's, there's, that's really been an emotional journey and one that I'm better for having taken. You've heard it here in this podcast. Writing my story has helped in so many ways. I've realized and relearned truths and having to retell and relive these events has helped give words to describe not only what I was seeing, but what I was feeling. And like the hike, that doesn't mean it's easy. And one of the lessons I learned is it's always hard for me to begin. This goes beyond writing. And it's one of the stories in my life before episode one of this podcast. How do you begin anything? How do you make change? And, and not just, I don't mean just like what the first line is of any given chapter or piece, which is always hard. But even like when you've been in that flow and then you take that break, you've finished that section and then you have to begin the next. And I think that I get, it's, it's almost a, like this, almost like per performance anxiety. Like I'm always like, you know, what's the first thing I'm going to say when I step into the room? You know, you know what you have to say, but how do you get to the part where you get to just say what you have to say? And so in writing, what I do is I take a shortcut around it. And when I'm, when I'm feeling stuck, you know, if I don't have that first line or that first paragraph, I just say, write the part that you know. Okay, so like th that might mean it's kind of sloppy, like that I have to start writing something that's like, you know, a third of the way into the piece. Like it's a scene that I've already imagined that's going to be in there or um, a paragraph, a, a, a description of something. And what I find is once I start writing, I relax. And then of course you can go back and make that beginning. In you know, writing, this shortcut seems more obvious than in life. How do you start with the part you know in the real world? What do you do when you don't know anything? Uh, writing a book is hard. Writing an essay is hard. Writing a poem is hard. With that kind of sense of surrender, that sense of kind of like, here I am, I'm going to do this work and I don't know where it will lead. And acceptance, you know, I think that those, I, I think of humility, acceptance and surrender as all these really, you know, words that are connected to each other in meaning. 
Um, and we think of them all in these kind of, we, we disassociate them from things like strength and power. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the only way to get to those places is through those things. Definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about the last couple of days. Okay. <laughs> Rocky wants to go home. Oh, no, I just am missing... I'm missing couches and toilets. But we were we were hiking and you were angry. Yeah, I just I my I have huge blisters on my feet. The like it's I hate that it's so pathetic, but these blisters are horrible that I'm like limping. I've never had a blister like that before. Well, maybe not. I've had them on my hands, but I don't walk on my hands. <laughs> But you were saying, there was one point in the trail where I was like, let's just go home. Because I thought that's how upset you were. Yeah, but that I also... What did you say? No, we have to finish it. No, but that made me say that. I hate this? Or this is a trip from hell? Yeah, or like, (laughs) why are we doing this? Yeah, because it's hard. Like today we hiked, I think only, well, we did 10 miles today around that but the last like two or three were so slow and so hot and directly in the sun with like no shade that was hard When Rocky said she wanted to go home, I didn't know if she wanted to actually go home or if she was just venting. We stopped and talked and I was prepared to look for the nearest trail to town, but we decided to stay on the trail. How do you skip to the parts you know when it feels like everything you're going through is the first time? Well, let's, let's, uh, there may be a reason why, let's back up first. Okay. So... Mather Pass. What do you remember people saying about Mather Pass? It was really hard and scary. Right? Yeah. That the, the, the south side was like good, no snow. And then the north side was going to be sketchy snow. So what was your experience on Mather Pass? Going to the top felt pretty good. We were walking with Grace, uh, someone we camped with the night before. Uh, she booked it, though. She was so fast. And she had, like, nine days' worth of food. So it was, like, insane woman. But, yeah, she booked it up there and booked it down. But, yeah, we went up. Felt pretty good about it. I had the thought, though, too, of, like, seeing all the snow. Like, we didn't have to walk through any. I don't think we did. Or we just walked around it. I had the thought of like the like seeing some like hand or something like that was caught in a snowstorm <laughs> popping out and being like, Oh my god, that's a body. But uh Yeah, we But just be- because we had seen down in Onion Valley and then in another spot oh by the Rangers station. At Ray Lakes. Ray Lakes. They had signs out for a missing 
person and he's been gone since like April or yeah. earlier. Came out here when it was still snowy. So and I had the thought in my head of like, oh, he was, he could be covered by snow and the snow's melting. So then you see his hands and it's like freaking. It probably didn't help that we had that experience zombie. on Forrester. Yeah. Well, oh yeah, that's, so that's been, like I've come, I've come to terms. <laughs> I've realized how much that has affected me and my nerves or my fears. I feel like if that didn't happen, I probably would be okay. I'd still think like, oh, this stuff is sketchy or scary, but it wouldn't be like, because that's just like in your face. Hey, look, the stuff you're doing is very dangerous. And they're, you know, like just the fact that that guy was like, he fell like 50 feet or whatever. But he wasn't too far away from the trail, and nobody saw him for like yeah. two or three days. So it's just—it's scary. You could fall, and you could be right there, and you just can't yell for help. It's like a nightmare. That's a nightmare. <laughs> so yeah, Mather Pass to the top. Yeah. What about coming bad. down Mather Pass? Coming down four thousand feet. Going down. So we were at the top, and before we headed down, this lady and then another woman who had just finished coming up the north side uh, was like well that was the most ter- Wait, what did she say? That was the most terrifying thing I've ever done and then, like hearing that I was like oh thanks we're headed right down that way like that's gonna be great. So we went down and then there's like a couple ice snow patches some long some short and so right before we get to the first one I like sat on a rock and was just like, I'm scared, Andrew. I'm scared. I think I said that like three times. Uh, And you were like, oh, it's okay. You got this, blah, 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 blah. Supportive, nice person. (laughs) And then uh, like that first step on it is like, oh, this is so scary because it's just like a straight drop down. So after I took like two steps, I was like, oh, I got this. Like I can do this. Yeah, I think it ended up being one of the easier yeah. summits of a pass. I mean, it was still like hard work, but it was like, <laughs> I felt very powerful. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't It wasn't so much as it was challenging as it was just physically taxing. Yeah. Since we were hiking north, we'd pass hikers coming south from time to time. And we'd always ask for conditions of the high mountain passes we would encounter that they had just hiked through. And every time we asked, we noticed an interesting phenomenon. For us northbound hikers, each of our passes slowly got lower in elevation as we headed towards our finish line in Yosemite National Park. For the southbound hikers, their passes each got higher and higher until they reached Forrester. This meant that every new pass for them was the hardest one yet. But for us... It was easier and had less difficult snow crossings. We had already done the hardest one yet. In a way, we already knew what it could be like. This didn't mean we were complacent, but it meant we could slowly release some of our anxiety to help keep us more aware of our surroundings. Um, Yeah, in the past three days we've been doing, we did three 15-mile days versus like our average of 10. Right, so we're pushing ourselves more. Uh, but Mather Pass. Wait, you mean Mirror? Mirror Pass. Mirror Pass, like, 
was one so they always say that when you're going southbound it's like one that you're just you are constantly seeing in the distance and it's like we're never gonna get there and then like for me though going northbound or for us it was like almost every turn like I couldn't I didn't know where the pass was so I was like is this it is this it versus like knowing like oh that's the pass and we're never like we're not getting any closer yeah the south this side felt like it was like oh it's gonna be right here so you get your hopes up and then it's like nope there's another like mile to go and yeah yeah and we had some snow on mere pass but i feel like uh it was pretty it was in flat parts mostly yeah it was oh my god compared to the other passes Ways. this was fine it was tiring because it was like long distance but no nah, it was i would take that snow over this other scary yeah. snow I also feel like it might have been, it was, it was, I mean, every five miles, it feels like the scenery changes mm -hmm. in the Sierras, but there was just something really special about sort of the, the five miles on either side of Mir Pass. Like it felt especially otherworldly. It, it felt especially like its own secluded little area, like there were times we were like, are we like in, in Antarctica or Alaska because of how some of these snow yeah. fields look? Well, and, and it would change so drastically too. Yeah, crazy. there was a lot of um, black, I think metamorphic rock versus the granite, which is what you mostly see in the Sierras. So it had this, it had this almost volcanic look to it. Yeah. Oh, and then like the snow ice field looked like a glacier, like I guess it the ice it looked almost like That's icebergs yeah, you would icebergs. see with like penguins and polar bears jumping yeah. off of <laughs> um and then after Mir pass and the Mir hut we we stayed pretty high we only hiked a couple more miles and camped at wanda lake so pretty which was super beautiful and just the way the sunset hit the mountains and reflected in the the lake was like a mirror reflection and then after that, we hiked to the midway, the halfway mark, roughly, of the John Muir Trail, which is Muir Trail Ranch, which is a, it's a working ranch that's, uh, it's only, it's a backcountry ranch that's only accessible by horse or foot. Mm -hmm. And they do... They do resupply stuff like we mailed some food and gear there, which we had to pick up. Plus, they have a little, a very small store that sells very basic things, like first aid, basically, or like um, uh, not like snacks and then no cafe or anything. Um, nah. We missed out on getting a shower and doing some laundry, but we did have a surprise waiting there for us when we got there. Yeah, my dad showed up. Your parents live in the foothills of Yosemite, so it's not too far out of the way for your dad to like no. want to meet up. Yeah, and he likes this area a lot at, at Lake Edison, Huntington Lake, Shaver Lake, all these these like areas we've been going to since I was little, and I think since he was little with his family. Anyways, so 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 we get there in the morning, like Rocky said, and and then all of a sudden uh, Rocky and I are in the store. Yeah, Andrew's getting some. Uh, canisters, new fuel canisters, fuel canisters, some sunscreen, some different stuff. And then I look out at the door and I see your dad tearing up, and I see you walking towards him. Yeah, 
And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and yeah, he, he teared up. He cried because he's emotional. No, it's good. <laughs> but um, he, so it was really cool to see, you know, just see a familiar face out here two weeks in. and Yeah. And so we followed. Looking back, the difference between the first and second weeks is startling. The first week, we were still figuring out what it meant to be backpackers. We were weaker, and our muscles hadn't yet gotten us used to the new normal. We were learning, getting used to life's new rhythm. We experienced so many things for the first time. We had to detour and reroute our trip. We were forced to confront emotions we didn't necessarily want to deal with. We didn't know anything. Week two? felt much more routine. It went quicker. We had slightly better expectations, and we knew some things. Sometimes starting with what you know works when you're writing a story. But in nature, we had to live and learn before we could get to the knowing part. Next time on Trailweight. You know, 48% of the land in the Western United States is public lands. Much of that, probably most of that, taken illegally. Trailweight is produced and written by Andrew Stephen. Our story producer is Monty Montpar. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Epidemic Sound. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and the Podglomerate. Thanks to Danadu. You can currently see him on Cobra Kai and The Crew, both on Netflix. Or listen to his podcast that we make together, Green Eggs and Dan. And you can find any of Dan White's books and writing at danwhitebooks.com. We're posting photos and more from the trail on our Instagram and Twitter at instagram.com slash trailweight and twitter.com slash trailweight, as well as on our website, trailweight.co. Thanks so much for listening. A Podglomerate Original.